noted film and television actor, stage actor, friend of the pod, and my former co-star Jim Ortlieb has returned to Chicago with a one-man tour de force called Stand Up If You're Here Tonight. And uh, I've got him right now eating pie and talking to me in a diner in Chicago, and it's so great to have you back here, Jim. Austin, I love you. Thanks so much. I'll be eating the pie. Go ahead, talk. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 16th year, number 799. Are you here? My old friend Jim Ortlieb is starring in John Colvenbach's Stand Up If You're Here Tonight, a tour de force one-person play about, well, it's kind of hard to say what it's about exactly, but it's a one-hour dive into what it means to struggle to survive, to move on, to connect, and to find community again. Written exactly a year ago in March 2021, Stand Up If You're Here Tonight is having its Chicago premiere at the American Blues Theater in the same production that Colvin Bach directed and in which Ortlieb starred that premiered last fall at the Circle X Theater in Los Angeles. Jim met me on his day off to tell me what it's like to be on stage all by yourself and how Stand Up If You're Here Tonight began. Well, the beginning of this... um Came from a came from actually the death of Hal Holbrook. Um, <clears throat> Hal Holbrook died, and I called the author, uh, whom is a good friend, John Colvenbach, and I said, John, Hal Holbrook died yesterday, and he's never going to do that one-man play about Mark Twain ever again. Why don't you write something that we can do for the rest of our lives? Until at least we're 95 or something. And John did write, and he he wrote, and he came back with this play in two weeks. Now, it's astonishing that you took such a a poignant story and went in a completely different capitalistic direction than I thought it was going. But from, but from great from great pain comes great art. That's right. I never really considered myself an opportunist before, nor would I ever think of of, of using Hal Holbrook's death sure. as an opportunity. But but uh, I think he would gladly pass on the baton to John Colvenbach and myself. Well, and there's something <laughs> wonderful about the form too, I think, and a great challenge for an actor. Yeah, doing one man show is very 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 different. And because this one is so interactive, it's very difficult uh, to rehearse without an audience. So when I actually suggested this to John, I thought, well, you could write a play about Upton Sinclair. I could do that. Or you could write a play about um, the arms dealer of a famous arms dealer of the 19th century. I could do that. Or I could maybe I could do a a one man play. there was in my mind there was narrative, and and and, and playing an existing historical figure, right? Yeah. And playing a, a, yeah. a historical figure with a story who has a story who may have a little bit of a dialogue with a not necessarily a dialogue but a, things to say to an audience. Mm-hmm. But for me, this play was <clears throat> quite a surprise and a bit of a puzzle because the 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 way to do it is really tricky. 
it is really tricky. And what what struck me about it is that I'm I'm not a fan of poetry, mostly because I don't know how to I don't know how to analyze it. I don't I frequently don't know how to interpret it. It feels formless, and yet it's not formless. Obviously, it doesn't feel linear and let it adds, adds up to something. Your performance in this play felt to me like a living poem. It felt like a thing that I wasn't tracking moment to moment, but I totally understood you in the center of it, dealing with something. There's a recurring phrase that you say in this in the play. Let's begin. We're about. I, I, I promise you, we'll begin. You know, we'll get. There. We'll get. You, we'll get there, as you keep saying. Um, and honestly, now that I've seen it, I can't remember whether we actually ever did begin, which I think is one of the joys of the piece. But that sense of trying to move on, coming as we are out of this pandemic, that seems that that really has struck, I think, not just me, but a lot of people in your audiences of like, holy crap, you're speaking for all of us trying to figure out how to begin. Yes, that it really is so true. And, and at, at first, uh, when... You know, it's so hard to talk about this without an audience having seen it. Yeah. And yet, at the same time, I don't want to give anything away. Right. Because there are some really some surprises in this play, not just at the end, but all the way through. Yeah. And and it also it sounds like to the uninitiated, like oh my God, it's got audience participation and this is going to be terrible. And it's not. It's not at all. It's not at all horrible. I mean, if you've seen an art reduced Shakespeare company show, this is nothing <laughs> compared to what we make audiences do. But it acknowledges the fact that the audiences are part of this, are part of this. This is, it's not just a guy on stage. It's not just actors on stage. The audience is part of the event as well. Yes. Well, it's really an invitation to come back and be human with each other, understanding what, we've, what has gone on over the past uh, pandemic and maybe even years, a few years before, yeah. uh, or maybe 40 years before. I don't know. Could mean anything for almost anybody. You know, there's, uh, there's, there, there are no insults in this play, and um, as we've heard over the past uh, uh, hours and and years, you know, <clears throat> Seinfeld and. Friends, you know, every 20 seconds there is an insult, right. and it's uh, part of a joke. Yeah, and uh, our society has uh, maybe gotten used to that quite a bit, and, yeah. and maybe coming out of the pandemic, uh, where we have not felt very safe, and uh, for other reasons as well, I think this play is a an invitation to step over the threshold, out of your homes, and into communicating with people in a a loving and trusting way. It's it's so weird, this play. There are big issues that I deal with in the play, because most of what I say has a question mark at the end of it. Yeah. There are so many questions that I ask the audience. Yeah. And and I apologize quite a number of times. Yeah. It's... <laughs> now, I'm laughing because... It is very funny. Well, that's the thing. It's funny because the, it's, and it's kind of only funny because your character is clearly in such pain. I mean, we're not laughing at your pain, although we kind of are a little bit. We're laughing at your struggles. How did you, you, you mentioned that your first impulses for a one man piece were to be about an historical figure. Yeah. But now you're playing a character I th that I think is just simply identified as man. Yeah. 
how do you approach building a character that seems on the page where he could be anybody? He could be every man. Well, when I picked up the script, I read in the beginning uh, this term audience participation, and I thought to myself, audience participation? That makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> me as the actor makes me uncomfortable. So, <clears throat> but as you read through the play and as you memorize the lines and you understand, oh my gosh, this is actually moving. Why is it so moving? There's something really moving here. I'm not really sure. So I was in touch of this, with the subtext of this character who's merely merely asking questions and, and polling the audience and, and, and ask, you know, suggesting tasks that the audience may do at any particular time. And I'm understanding that there is such sadness here for some reason. And um, <clears throat> sometimes when somebody is sad, um, you know, it can be awfully moving and yet at the same time uncomfortable for an audience, especially if I'm talking directly to them. Um, but loss has been a big part of our lives over the last couple of years. And, and in this country, it doesn't seem like mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, is something that we're really good at. Yeah, right. You know, so, so, so this, this play is sort of an invitation to come out again, understand you've lost something, and let's see how we can start again. Totenberg, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? We are still the remote Shakespeare Company for only about three more weeks because we will give our first live performances in over two years of Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel in Washington, Pennsylvania on April 20th and in Reston, Virginia on April 24th, 2022. We also have a few other gigs this spring and an exciting series of performances later this summer we'll talk about next week on podcast episode 800. Check out the touring page at our website, reducedshakespeare.com, or our Twitter feed at Reduced for the latest information. Now back to my conversation with Jim Ortlieb talking about Stand Up If You're Here Tonight. John Colvenbach's play that Jim is starring in here in Chicago at the American Blues Theater. One of the great things about your performance and this play is that it allows your your performance to be so grounded and so real and so on the verge of something that you don't want to let take over you. So the, the, the fun and sort of the narrative um, energy is watching you struggle to keep those feelings at bay or channel them or harness them into something uh, positive. Um, how much, because the character is simply called man, how much of this character is you? I mean, where, where, where is that line? Or do you know? Or do you not even want to think about it? Well, when John wrote it, uh, for, on my suggestion, he, he, he took, you know, <clears throat> he took a lot of the cues from me yeah. and who I am. And uh, uh, at some point during my uh, memorization process last spring, um, uh, I said, I had to call him up and I said, John, you know, I, I, I have the feeling that you've been reading my emails 
<laughs> and I, I <clears throat> and he laughed. Yeah. He said, no, no. And he was trying to put me at ease. And, of course, keeping me in the dark was not necessarily putting me at ease. <laughs> right, right, right. But directors work as they will. And um, uh, it, there's a lot of me in here. Yeah. There's a lot of me. And, and the... the, uh, the thing that keeps me away from uh, having emotions overwhelm me or whatever is going on in me uh, uh, overwhelm me and not take me away from the action that I am that I have in this play and that the overriding action is to connect with the audience uh, is it keeps me from uh, from dying from retreating Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. losing yeah. From all of that, sure. and so my connection to the audience never stops, and it—that really is who I am. You can ask my wife; she she would <laughs> she would say that's absolutely true. I'm also an actor, uh, and I have this terrible occupational hazard, and that is that I believe almost everything I say. And uh, because I'm good at that, uh, believing in what I say, other people have a tendency to believe anything I say as well. Now, I I wouldn't say I'm the brightest bulb in the chandelier, but when people believe everything I say, I would suggest they're in trouble. But yet, yeah, and and yet, yes, you say that. Um, um, but that is part of the contract that we, as audience members, uh, uh, sign when we come in: is that we will believe what you tell us, and uh, that is part of our, our part of the bargain. And you were uh, the trick of this play, and one of the entertaining, uh, wonderful things about it is that. We don't know which parts of the thing to t- you, to believe that you're saying because you're not telling us everything, you know. And it's and 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 I think as you're talking about playing, you know, your your level of grief, it's like playing drunk. You don't want to give in to the drunkenness. You don't want to give in to the grief. Um, and you do and and connecting to that audience, it, it, it gives you such activity. Did you find? Do you find this? Yeah, that's very true. Uh, that's very true, Austin. That's really true. What's going on? It really is. I think that's you. You've nailed the play right there. It really is me working through that, and not letting it get to me, yeah. because my desire—sorry, getting emotional—my desire is to connect with people. It's really what all of us are like. And we come out. We come out of the womb, and we are attempting to connect. And, and we've just spent two years in isolation, yes. and we're beginning to slowly return to theater, hoping for that connection. Right. And yeah. whether you were in a home alone yeah. over the last two years, or whether you were the, with a partner or a family, there have been moments of incredible stress in those moments, where you have wanted to be alone, and yet you've wanted to be with people at the same time. Both of those things going on at once. You know, we've heard stories over the last years about how people had breakdowns or people lost hope during these times because they were whatever situation they were in. And this is this play, John recognizes in me, he's always recognized in me this desire to connect. Uh, because I did the play with him in, in 2012 called Half and Half and Half up in Massachusetts. And, and so he understood me then. Um, so he did sort of write it for me, which is I feel very honored by, but at the same time, 
I didn't have the easiest time understanding this character, probably because it was too close. You know, it was very weird. For the first three years of my marriage, my wife believed everything I said. About three years in, I said something. Don't remember what it was, but she looked at me, tilted her head as if she was King Kong on top of the Empire State Building, just having been shot by a little thing that hurt its finger. What is... She looked at me, and she said, Oh, I see. <laughs> and uh, after that, it was hard to be believed about anything. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but, uh, so, I mean, in real life, yeah. I wouldn't believe me. This play, John, very intelligent man, helps me out quite a bit and guides this this play in a way that that is so wonderful for an audience and is so much fun and so brilliantly intelligent, much more than I am, really, in real life. But you can believe everything I say in this play. It's just so wonderful. Does doing this play make you cry out for doing a play with more actors in it now? I don't know. That's a very good question because all of a sudden we've taken down the quote-unquote fourth wall of the theater and I so enjoy getting to know an audience that I feel like I'm, I've awakened something new in me and I, I have to say I've never... I've never studied improvisation as an art form, other than in, in, in dramatic improvisation in, in classes. But I feel like I'm more connected to the audience with this play, and it really is a play that I can do for the rest of my life. I don't know if I'll be able to do the pratfalls that I do in this play yeah. at 95, but I really think I can do this play for the rest of my life. And I, I would, I, and I'll meet new people all along the way. Uh, it will never stop. It's, I feel so honored by it. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, except for one more thing I'll share with you in about one minute, so stick around. If you're in the Chicago area, I hope you get a chance to see Jim Ortlieb in John Kovenbach's Stand Up If You're Here Tonight. Go to AmericanBluesTheater.com for more information. Then let us know how you connect via email to feedback at ReducedShakespeare.com or throw a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram or on our own actual website, ReducedShakespeare.com or visit my website, TheShakespeareance.com. Thanks as always to Sitting Down Because He's Away, Matthew Croak, Web Services by Ginger Power Limited, Music by John Weber and GarageBand. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Robin Jackson. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to National Public Radio's legal affairs correspondent Nina Totenberg. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe, get vaccinated, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 799-2397ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. I know you meant like that sound like a promise and not a threat, but... (laughs) (laughs) That I'll be doing it for the rest of my life? Yeah, well, look out, baby, I'm coming. (laughs) Coming soon to a city near you, whether you like it or not. (laughs) Well, I'll see you, Altoona. (laughs) 
podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.